Oh, it doesn't seem like you're going that well. How are you going? Okay, that's better. We've got to keep on practicing that so that when we get to Camp No Fear, you see Camp No Fear, you see that gets the cheer. So that's the main thing to remember. Hey, I'm so excited. I know normally everyone, I know you guys are all looking up here like, oh, dang, Sinjin's speaking again tonight. That's so annoying. Well, I've got great news for you. It's not me tonight. I know. You were supposed to be less excited about that, but that's okay because I've got a really good friend. We've got a guest speaker tonight. He is from a church in Warrigal called CCW. He's the youth pastor there. We've been friends for a really long time. Some of the team and some of you maybe might even have met him at some point through CYC, but he's a really good friend of mine. He's someone who we always we got on really fast right at the start. He's a great speaker. He's got something really cool to share with you tonight about God. So make sure you give him your full attention, but can we please give him the biggest camp-sized welcome, Adam! Come on. Thanks, bro. Yes. Yeah. All right. <laughs> hey, it is exciting to be here. This is my first time here at Gateway Youth. Uh, you guys are you guys are pretty crazy. Yeah, you guys are pretty crazy, and I love it. Absolutely love it. Hey, it's awesome to be here. I, um, I yes, yeah, as Sinch said, I'm a youth pastor from Warrigal, and uh, a little bit about myself. I am married to the most beautiful woman on earth, and every husband should say that about their wife. Uh, and I have four amazing children, and uh, you know what? I tell you what, being a youth pastor is a pretty good job, but being a dad is the best job in the world. It is absolutely fantastic. And uh, being a dad is so good most of the time. Most of the time, not all the time. Sometimes your kids do things that are a little bit frustrating. And uh, I've got, as I said, four beautiful children and one of them, and anyone who knows my kids will know which one this is going to be, one of them is a bit more of a challenge than the other ones, right? He's the kind of guy that um, always does the wrong thing. Uh, whenever you say, don't go and do that, he's the one that goes and does it, right? And some of you might be like, yeah, my brother or sister's like that. Some of you might be saying, hey, that's me. I do that. Um, but one thing I learned about him from a very young age is that he keeps making the same mistakes over and over and over again. And I remember one day I was washing the dishes at home and he was very young, young enough to hit his head on the bench top. Who's ever hit the head on a bench top? Yeah, it hurts, Right? And he's very young, and I see him running past, like he's fanging it. He's going as fast as he can past this bench top, and every time he's getting closer and closer and closer. And I thought, man, like this, this kid's going to hit it, right? So I turn to my wife and I say, hey, he's going to run into the bench top. We need to tell him to stop. So I go over and I get down on his level, and I'm like, hey, mate, you've got to stop running so fast close to the bench top because you're going to hit it right in the, in the smack center of your head. And he's like, all right, Dad. So I go back and I start washing dishes and fair, fair enough, like he stops, 10 seconds, maybe 12, right? And he's doing it again. And I go up to my wife and say, he's not listening. And she goes, well, maybe he needs to learn from his mistakes. <laughs> and I'm just like, let me just get this straight. You're telling me that we need to let our son 
run full force at the bench top. And she goes, that's what I'm saying. Probably not. <laughs> so I go back to the dishes and I'm thinking to myself, like, oh yeah, okay, look, I'll be honest. I'm not going to lie to you guys. I would like to say that I was there going, oh, Jesus, please let him stop. But I went back and I'm like, this kid's going to hit it and it's going to be hilarious. <laughs> and fair enough, like, again, 10 seconds, bang! And I look over and he's on the floor holding his head, bawling his eyes out. And I go over and I pick him up and I start talking to him about what happened. And deep down inside, I'm like, you learnt the hard way. This is fantastic. And I pick him up and we spent the next probably five minutes talking about why he shouldn't run inside and and why you should listen to mum and dad because we have lived on this life. You know, the stuff that your parents tell you, the stuff that they just always say. Anyway, so he stops running around and it's fantastic. And I go back to washing the dishes and about 30 seconds later, bang! And I'm just like, which one is it now? Like one of the other three has just run full pelt at this thing. And I look over, it's the same kid. <laughs> and I, I go to my wife and I'm like, what is going on with this kid? Like he's not learning from his mistakes. And then about a couple of days later, I'm at home with my mum. And I say, mum, how do you deal with this? Because my mum's one of uh, seven kids. I'm one of seven kids. So my mum has a lot of parenting experience. I said, mum, how do you deal with this? And she goes, well, he's not going to learn like that. And I can tell you now because you did the same thing. (laughs) And I'm like, what? I ran into the bench top. And she goes, no, no, but you never learned from your mistakes. I'm like, yes, I did. She goes, no, you didn't. Yes, I did. No, you didn't. Yes, I did. This went on for about half an hour. (laughs) Finally, I said, mum, tell me how I used to do the same thing. And she goes, when you were in school you got blue slips every second day. Now, blue slips was a slip that the teacher gave you that went home with you. And the only way you got a blue slip was when a teacher would hit you, right? Because when I went to school, there were probably one of the last schools in Victoria that actually still had this where teachers could hit you. Now, any school, any teacher can hit you, but they shouldn't, right? But (laughs) at, at this school, they let them do it, right? And they called it the paddle, and have you ever played rounders with those little coloured bats, right? They were the paddle, right? So you just get them, like, teacher would just lean back and just let it rip. Anyway, so every time you got the paddle, you get this blue slip and you have to take it home and your mum or dad had to sign it and you had to bring it back to be like, yes, my parents know that I got the paddle, right? My mum said, you got one every second day. I could have wallpapered your room in blue slips. And I'm like okay. She goes, I said, well, this doesn't explain anything. Like, I just did lots of wrong things. And she goes, no, no, you did the same two things. It was the same things every time. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. What are those two things? So I said, mum, what were the two things that I always did? She goes, you always, one of them was sucking on Lego blocks. (laughs) I'm like, okay, that's random. Thanks, mum. And I'm like, okay. So I sucked on Lego blocks and I got the paddle. Okay, yep. What was the other thing? She goes, you were always kissing all the girls. (laughs) And I'm like, oh, all right. I was in grade two, (laughs) right? And I said, okay, mum, what else did I get the paddle for? She goes, nothing. That's all it ever was. It was sucking Lego blocks, kissing girls. Sucking Lego blocks, kissing girls. (laughs) And I'm like, wow, okay. And like, don't get me wrong, it's not creepy. It's not like I'm going up to girls like, like a predator. Like I'm not going up going, 
I was in grade two. It's not like I'm walking up to all these, these group of girls and I'm like, I'm here to suck Lego blocks and kiss girls and I'm all out of Lego blocks. <laughs> like, I'm not doing that, <laughs> right? So I learned very quickly that I'm one of those people that makes mistakes over and over and I don't really learn either. And I've learned in my 35 years of life that there's three kinds of people and everyone fits into one of these things. So over here, you've got the people who learn the best way and they're the people that learn from other people's mistakes, right? Who, who, anyone here does that? You learn from other people's mistakes? That's the best way to learn. There's very few of those people, right? And then in the middle, you've got the people who learn from their mistakes, right? That's most of us. Should I say most of you, right? Because then over here, there's those very few special kind. That's me. That's some of you here who we just, there you go. We don't learn. We make the same mistakes over and over. And let me tell you about people in this space is those two people hate this person. They don't like this person because this person's frustrating and annoying and they don't learn, right? And as I'm... as I'm reading the Bible, like, man, I'll tell you what, there's some fantastic stories in the Bible. There's some really, really cool stuff. And I came across this, one of these books in the Bible. Man, I'll tell you what, it's, it's this story over and over. Because there are people in the Bible who learn from their mistakes, but there is this one book in the Bible in particular where people just don't learn from their mistakes. Yeah? Does anyone have any idea which book it could be? It's Judges. Yeah, who said that? Yeah, 10 points for Gryffindor. All right. <laughs> It's Judges. And the thing is about Judges is Judges has the same theme. It is God's people turn their backs on God and worship other gods. And then bad stuff happens and they realize, oh no, bad stuff's happening. Let's go run back to God. They go run back to God. God provides a judge. He delivers them. Things are good. They turn their backs on God. Bad stuff happens and so forth. And it's just this constant wheel of bad stuff happening and they never learn and as someone who keeps making the same mistakes over and over even I read judges and I'm like man these guys are idiots they don't learn from their mistakes and I want to talk today about one person in judges one of my favorite people in judges and I'll I'll be really quick what I'm going to do is I'm going to just go through some of the story real quick and I'm going to share with you just 47 points after no no just two (laughs) two points (laughs) two things that we can learn from this story So, this is in the book of Judges, chapter 6, and it's the story of a guy named Gideon. And Gideon is um, a pretty cool guy, but uh, he's not what we would expect God to choose, right? So, it starts like this, and most of the parts in in Judges start like this. The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight, again. So many stories in Judges start that way. The Israelites did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord handed them over to the Midianites for seven years. And then it starts to talk about what the Midianites did to Israel. It says, The Midianites were so cruel that the Israelites made hidden hiding places for themselves in the mountains, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, marauders from Midian, Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east would attack Israel, camping in the land and destroying crops as far away as Gaza. They left the Israelites with nothing to eat, taking all the sheep, goats, cattle, donkey, the enemy hordes coming with their livestock and tents were as thick as locusts. They arrived in droves of camels, too numerous to count, and they stayed until the land was stripped bare. So Israel was reduced to the starvation by the Midianites. Then the Israelites cried out to the Lord for help. So after all this bad stuff is happening, the Israelites are like, oh, hang on, we've turned our backs on God again. We need to turn to God for help, right? So God answers, 
and he sends them a guy named Gideon. And uh, God calls him and says, Gideon, I've called you. And then Gideon says this. He says, he says, if the Lord is with us, because the God said, hey, the Lord is with you, right? Gideon says, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And what about all the miracles that our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us up out of Egypt, but now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites? So God is talking to, to Gideon saying, hey, I'm here to help you. And Gideon is like, yeah, you know what? Look at all the bad stuff that's going on around here. I don't think so. Like you're saying you're on our team, but look at all the stuff that's going wrong. And he's not even switched on to the fact that they've turned their back on God. And then the Lord said to him, go with strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I'm sending you. But Lord Gideon replied, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole of the tribe of Manasseh and I'm the least in my family. So he's saying, you know what? I'm actually in one of the tribes that's not that important and I'm not even the oldest in my family. I'm not the person you should be speaking to. I'm just Gideon. You should be speaking to somebody else who's stronger, who's faster, who's smarter. I'm not the guy you want to choose to rescue Israel from all these troubles. And then God says something interesting because we're living in a world where people, when you say to someone, hey, I don't think I can do it. I don't think I'm good enough, right? The, to correct the correct response is, yes, you are. You can do it. You have it in you, right? But God doesn't tell Gideon, you can do this. You've got it in you. When Gideon says, hey, I can't do this, this is what God says to him. He says, I will be with you and you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. And then something really, really cool happens, right? Gideon replied, if you are truly going to help me, show me a sign to prove that it's really the Lord speaking to me. Don't go away until I come back with an offering. And then he answered, God answered, I will stay here until you return. That's really interesting, is that God has come to Gideon and said, Gideon, all this bad stuff's happening, and I'm going to send you to deliver Israel. And Gideon goes, hang on, I can't do this because I'm, I'm the least in my family. I'm not good enough. And God says, it's okay, I'm going with you, right? And then Gideon does something which we know in the church today we shouldn't do. He goes, hang on, I'm going to test you. I'm going to test you, God. Because if this is actually God in heaven speaking, then you'll be able to live up to my test. Right? We're always told, don't test God, don't question God, just do what he says. But Gideon goes, I need to see for sure that this is God telling me to do this. So God says, sure, no worries. And Gideon runs off, leaving God alone. Now, Immediately I thought, man, Gideon's going to do something really magnificent here. But look what he does. In verse 19 of chapter 6, Gideon hurried home. He cooked a young goat and with a basket of flour, he baked some bread without yeast. Then carrying the meat in the basket and the broth in a pot, he brought them out and presented them to the angel of the Lord who was under a great tree. Now, I don't know about you, right? But if I am in any situation in life and all of a sudden, an angel or God appears to me and says, hey, Adam, I've called you to this huge, wonderful, magnificent calling. And don't worry if you don't think you can do it because I'm going to go with you and I'm going to be your strength and great stuff is going to happen. And I tell you now, the first thing in my mind is not going to be like, hey, God, can I just go cook a meal? <laughs> I just want to go and cook something real quick. Because he says, 
I can't imagine talking to God, there'd be so many tests. Oh man, if this is actually God talking to me, maybe make a tree grow, bang. Maybe make the sky turn pink for a second. Maybe, you know, do something really cool. But instead he goes, hey, I'm going to test God. God, hold on one second. And he goes and he cooks a goat. I feel like that's not an animal that would cook quickly. It's not like he's got a fish and he's just like, all right, God, so I've got this, this, this fish. Or a chicken, which chicken cooks quickly. But he goes, I'm going to cook a goat, right? And not only that, I'm actually going to bake some bread as well. And then all the broth that's been cooking with all the goat and stuff, I'm going to put that in a pot. So I would imagine that Gideon's been gone for some time. Maybe, well, that's the broth is, right? <laughs> So he brings it to the angel, and the, God, the angel of God says to him, place the meat and the unleavened bread on this rock and pour the broth over it. This is all Gideon's hard work, right? He's been gone for some time. And Gideon did as he was told, and the angel of the Lord touched the meat and the bread with the tip of his staff in his hand, and a fire flamed up from the rock and consumed all that he had brought, and the angel of the Lord disappeared. Man, Gideon's just worked hard cooking this meal, and God's just like, ha, ha, boo. Thanks for that. Right? And then Gideon fell to his face and realized that this was actually God speaking to him because he tested God. And then God asked Gideon to do something crazy because God has also promised the future thing, right? The future thing is you're going to save all of Israel. But he doesn't say, okay, cool, now that you know what your purpose is, go save Israel. That's not what he does. He says, now that you know what your purpose is to save all these people, I want you to do a work just in your town first, just locally. And he tells Gideon to go and pull down the gods of worship in the town, in his father's house, actually. And Gideon, having seen who God is and tested God, he goes, yes, I'm going to do that, but I'm going to do it at night time because I don't want anyone to see me right and he pulls it down at night time so no one can see and he kills a calf and he sacrifices it basically saying this is now God's place and in the morning people come around they go hang on where are our gods of worship they are gone let's find out who did this so they go looking to find out who did it and through detective work they find out it's Gideon so they go to Gideon's place and they're like Gideon oi because they're Australian (laughs) oi Gideon get out here You've destroyed all of our gods. And Gideon doesn't come out and, you know, go, ha-ha, I did it. It was God who told me to do it. He is with me. He hides away in the house. This is a really interesting move from somebody who just had an appearance of God before him. And he's still hiding away in the house because his faith level, his tank, his love, not love tank, his faith tank is, wow, his faith tank is probably at about 51% right now. It's not at 100, but it's getting there to the point where it's like, man, once you hit 51%, you start acting, right? All right, oh, I'm going to do what you told me to do, but I'm going to do it at nighttime so no one sees and I'm going to hide away when anyone catches me. So his faith's at like 51%. It's, 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 it's okay. It's doing all right. He did what God asked him to do. And then Gideon's dad defends him and says, hey, you know what? If this is Baal, if Baal is real and these gods he's teared down are real, they'll defend themselves. 
And the guys, for some reason, are like, yeah, that's good enough. Yeah, that's a good reason. Let's go. Let's go home. So Gideon gets off the hook, right? Soon after that, the armies of Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east formed an alliance against Israel because they heard what was happening and crossed the Jordan, camping in the valley of Jezreel. I feel like, has anyone seen like Lord of the Rings or The Hobbit or anything like that? You know where like you see those scenes, like all the armies like sort of forming? I feel like this is what's happening. Everyone's coming up and they're going, you know what? Israel's starting to fight back. We need to get on board together and get rid of them because they're going to fight us, right? And that's what happens. Then Gideon, then the Spirit of the Lord took possession of Gideon. He blew a ram's horn to call to arms, and the men of the clan of Abiezer came to him. He also sent messengers throughout Manasseh, Asher, Zebulon, Naphtali, uh, summoning the warriors, and they all responded. So now Gideon's like, well, you're going to get your armies to come and fight me, or I'm going to get my armies to come and fight you. It's going to be on. We're going to have like this massive fight, and it's going to be great. Then Gideon said to God, if you truly going to use me to rescue Israel as you promised prove it to me in this way this is the second time Gideon is testing God prove it to me in this way I'll put a wool fleece on the threshing floor tonight if the fleece is wet with dew in the morning but the ground is dry then I will know that you are going to help me help me rescue Israel as you promised and that's just what happened when Gideon got up early the next morning, he squeezed the fleece and wrung out a whole bowl full of water. Then Gideon said to God, please don't be angry with me, but let me make one more request. Test number three. Let me use the fleece for one more test. This time, let the fleece remain dry while the ground around it is wet with dew. So that night God did as Gideon asked. The fleece was dry in the morning, but the ground was covered with dew. So God had made it clear what he wants Gideon to do, right? But Gideon has no idea what God's about to do. He's going to do something so crazy, so ridiculous, it has to be in the Bible, right? All the people that came to fight for Gideon numbered 32,000. He had 32,000 men to fight against Midianites. And God says, hey, you know what? You've got too many men. I want you to reduce your men. And Gideon, I would imagine at that point, is going, um, hey God, I don't really know if you understand how war works, <laughs> but I need people, <laughs> right? So this is what God tells him to do. He says, uh, he's, oh, Gideon got up early and as far as the spring of Herod. The armies of Midian were camped north of them near the valley of the hill of Morah. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many warriors with you. If I let you fight the Midianites, the Israelites will boast to me that they saved themselves by their own strength. Therefore, tell the people, whoever is timid or afraid may leave this mountain and go home. How many go home? 22,000 go home. So he's gone from 32,000 to 10,000. leaving only 10,000 who were willing to fight. But the Lord said to Gideon, there's still too many, still too many. Bring them down to the spring and I will test them to determine who will go with you and who will not. When Gideon took his warriors down to the water, the Lord told him, divide men into two groups. In one group, put all those who cup the water with their hands and uh, lap it up to their tongues like dogs. Um, in the other group, all those who kneel down and put their mouths in the stream. 
Only 300 of the men drank with their hands. All the others got down on their knees and drank with their mouths in the stream. The Lord said to Gideon, With these 300 men I will rescue you and give you victory over the Midianites. Send all the others home. 32,000 to fight the Midianites to 300. That's pretty crazy, right? And then what happens? They win, right? I'm not going to go because for time, I'm not going to say it. They win, spoiler alert, they win. <laughs> 300 people, they win. Can I share with you a secret? Beating 300, beating 32, uh, th- sorry, thousands of men with 300, that's impossible. <laughs> that's the secret. It's impossible, right? But here's the interesting thing, is that all along Gideon's journey, these are the two points I want to make. The first one is this. All along Gideon's journey, he kept saying to God, hey, can you just show me one more time? Can you just tell me who you are one more time? Can you tell me who I am one more time? Can you just remind me that you're with me and that I'm not going to fail one more time? You know, we are told very, very young, you've just got to trust God. Just trust him. Like, it's okay. Just trust him. But I'll tell you what, when the storms of life come in and the pressures of life come in, it is so easy to go, you know what? I can't trust you anymore, God. I've got to take the reins for myself because this blind trust isn't working for me. Can I put to you that God never asked you to be blind? Never. I don't think there's anything wrong with going to God and saying, hey, God, my faith tank is running pretty low. Can you fill it up? Can you tell me who I am again? Can you tell me who you are again? Can you remind me of my calling, of my purpose, of my mission? Just one more time. Because when Gideon said, please don't be angry with me, we have this idea that God's in the sky with this like stick. And as soon as we, we, we go below 50% of faith, he's like smacking us like, how dare you go below? That's not who God is. God is a loving father. We can go to God and say, God, I'm not feeling it. Like, I'm not, I'm not sure this is, maybe I'm, not, I'm the least of my family. I can't do what you've called me to do. And all God wants to do is say, hey, let me just show you again. Let me just fill up that faith tank for you. Let me just fill up that faith tank for you. And how do we do that, right? How do we get that faith tank filled up? When we have a problem in life and we need that faith tank filled up, I tell you now, you go to any church, hopefully, you know, we don't hear it too often these days, but what are the two main things that people tell you to do when you say, I'm struggling with my faith or I'm not sure about my calling or I can't remember who God is or man, I don't even know who I am anymore. What are the two things that that Christians are great at saying? The two pieces of advice. Pray and read your Bible. They're the two ones, right? And here's the problem. It doesn't work. Shock, right? And when it doesn't work, we go, man, Maybe this whole faith thing's just not it because it's not working. And I don't think it's because reading your Bible and praying doesn't work. I think that we just don't know how to do it. Yeah? Because whoever, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm going to pick on the, on the church and I can say that because I'm part of the church. So, all right. <laughs> when we pray, how many of us do this, right? We know that there's a need or something like that and usually a need drives us to God, right? How many of us, when we pray, we go, okay, God, I need this from you because I'm not feeling it and I want you to show me direction in my life and I want you to remind me who you are and who, who I am. Thank you very much. 
oh, it's not working. This is frustrating. It's not meant to work like that. God's not on our schedule. Can you imagine if we went up to our friends like that? Imagine going up to your mate and saying, hey, I was just wondering if you can answer this question, right? And you go up and you ask them some deep question about life or even who they are or who you are. Tell us about our friendship. How do we meet? What does it mean to you? And you give them five seconds as they're thinking, you're like, ah, you're the worst. (laughs) Well, our friendship means nothing now. (laughs) But here's something that someone asked me a long time ago, and it changed the way that I spend time with God. Because there's nothing wrong with going to God when you need something, make your requests known to God, right? We should do that. He wants to know our requests, right? When we're struggling and we need that faith top up, yeah, he's totally there. But when was the last time you had a date night with God? When was the last time you went to God because you just wanted God, right? When that person asked me that, I fell to my knees. I'm like, all right, I'm just going to spend this time with God. And I cleared my mind of the things that were in my heart that I'm like, oh, these are the things I'm struggling with. These are the answers that I need. And I'm just spending time with God. And I can tell you now, when you just spend time with God, He will fill you up in a way that you've never experienced before. And you'll have peace that surpasses all understanding in the situations and the anxieties of life. Because you just go and spend time with Him. Imagine the relationships around us. We didn't want to spend time with people, we just wanted them to fix our problems. They're not our friends. Imagine if we did that with God, yeah? And the second one is reading our Bible. Is we go, all right, and I've done this a lot. I am a good Christian if I can read a chapter a night. Who's done that? (laughs) Or I'm going to read, I mean, I'm I'm hardcore, I'm going to read a whole book a night, right? But it's not meant to be read like that, (laughs) right? If you ever go, you know what, I'm going to read from Genesis through to Revelation and it's going to be awesome, just stop it, get some help. (laughs) stop it get some help (laughs) it's not meant to be read like that right this isn't a novel for you right imagine opening it up and going what's God got to say to me today oh man I read well if there's one that needs me he'll leave the 99 for the one man I feel like the one God is speaking to me in this wow if I was the only one Wow, the thief on the cross, God said, you'll be with me in paradise. That's, I feel like that. Can you imagine if we read it like a love letter? Because that's what it is. If you've ever received a love letter at school, you don't read it over quickly and go, cool, thanks, no worries. You read it carefully. You mull on every word. And then you put it away. And then later on, you get it out again. And you keep reading it. Imagine if we read the word of God like that. Because God wants to speak to us through it. Yeah? So can I encourage you, whatever you're going through in life, right? If you are struggling with your faith, if you're struggling with depression or anxiety or brokenness, unforgiveness, resentment, pain, try going to God and just saying, God, fill up my faith tank. Tell me who I am again. Tell me who you are again. There's one more thing I want to mention, and this is one of the most beautiful things in Gideon. To fight those armies is impossible. It can't be done. 
right? But that's where God shines, in the impossible. What's impossible in your life right now? Maybe it is depression. Maybe you're like, man, I'm never going to get through this. This is who I am right now. This is who I am. This is my life now. Anxiety. It's impossible for me to break free of those chains. The pain and brokenness that comes with life. I'm never going to be fixed or healed from that. Man, God's called me to go to missions, but you know what? I'm, I'm the worst. I can't do that. My faith isn't actually as real as it probably should be. It's impossible for me to do that. Well, now, if you talk like that, you're sounding like Gideon. <laughs> because God works in the impossible. It's impossible to stand before an army with 300 men and win, but for Gideon, God made an exception. Yeah? I've got a few more exceptions here. Can I share them really quickly with you? It's impossible for a 15-year-old to be anointed king of Israel and then to go on and defeat a nine-foot giant, but for David, God made an exception. Yeah? It's impossible for an elderly man to receive a 100-year-old promise to build this massive boat to save his family and the animals on earth. But for Noah, God made an exception. It is impossible for a fisherman who is known for his anger to walk on water. But for Peter, God made an exception. It is impossible for a man who has been dead for four days to raise from the dead, but for Lazarus, God made an exception. It is impossible for a man with a stutter to split the Red Sea and to save the Israel nation from Egypt, but for Moses, God made an exception. It is impossible for a lady who was barren and cannot have children to be the mother of the Israel nation, but for Sarah, God made an exception. It is impossible for a man to go and march around a city and yell at its walls, but for Joshua, God made an exception. It is impossible for a woman with an issue of blood for 12 years just to touch Jesus' clothes and be healed, but for that woman, God made an exception. It is impossible for a man born blind to be healed from his blindness with just the touch of Jesus, but for Bartimaeus, God made an exception. It is impossible for a man with a a disabled right hand to become a judge of Israel, but for Ehud, God made an exception. It is impossible for a man to spend a night in a in a, a pit with lions, but for Daniel, God made an exception. It is impossible for three men to go into a fiery furnace and survive, but for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, God made an exception. It is impossible for a person whose job it is to kill Christians to become one of the greatest Christians in the New Testament, but for Paul, God made an exception. It is impossible for a 16-year-old kid who is sitting in his bedroom trying to hang himself and commit suicide to become a youth pastor and change people's lives by the testimony of what God's done in his life, but for me, God made an exception. So my question is, what's the exception for you? What is the impossible in your life that God's just waiting to make an exception? What's the impossible in your life that you keep saying, that can't be me? I'm the least in my family. Man, look at all this. Like God's got this promise on my life. God's like, he wants to take away the bondage. He wants to knock down the walls. He wants me to be free. I can't be free. This is impossible. If God can make the exception for all these people, let me ask you this question. Why not you? There's nothing special about those people apart from what God 
transformed in their lives. Can I challenge you? The things that are impossible in your life, don't view them as things that can't be changed. View them as opportunities for God to do his greatest work. Yeah? For God to do his greatest work in you. And he can do that. What are the impossible things that you need to lay before God and say, God, take it. Maybe you're not at that, state, that space yet and you just need to go, God, remind me who you are again. Remind me who you are. Can I pray for you guys? Heavenly Father, you are an amazing God. You take what's impossible and you make it possible. Everything's possible for you. You're so magnificent. You're so huge. We read in your word that, that you just spoke things into being. That you just say, let there be light and there's light. We read that you hold the oceans in your hand. Lord, we read that the stars came out of your nostrils. You are so marvelous and huge and magnificent and large and in control. But at the very same time, God, you care about the deepest troubles in our hearts. You want us to be free, to not be walking around with chains or, and bondage, God, not to, not to be stumbling over the same mistakes over and over again. But God, you want us to be free. You know everything about us. Lord, you know the troubles in our hearts right here tonight. And I just ask for anyone who needs it right now, God, that you would remind them who you are. That when they say, God, I can't do it, I can't break free. God, I can't be free of my depression and of my anxiety. That God, you would tell them who you are because you go with them. All the situations in life that become too much, God, I ask that 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 would be silenced and that, that your voice would be, would be coming through that situation, again, reminding who you are. Lord, remind them that the impossible is a barrier for us, but not for you. That you can make an exception whenever you wish because you sit on the throne. You are in control. You are God. Heavenly Father, I thank you for everybody who's here tonight and the work that you're doing in them, God, right now. I just ask that your Holy Spirit would continue that work, that you would remind them who they are. Free. In Jesus' name. Amen.